Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revs finally reached the win column this week. Uh, for the first time in 2019, five attempts with a 2-1 victory over Minnesota United. Following a week where effort was questioned, players feared for their cars, and the sky was falling. The Revolution played a full 90 minutes from start to finish and came away with a well-deserved three points. Uh, Jaleel Anibaba and Brandon Bai scored their first goals of the season in 2019 uh, to give the Revs uh, just enough offense for the win. Uh, I'm Greg Johnstone. As always, Sean, John, Sean Donahue is on the podcast. Sean, how's it going? You know, I, I was expecting some uh, Spurs ribbing this morning and, and did not get that uh, on this podcast. But uh, I was—I actually went to the the Fenway Fan Fest thing this morning and uh, saw a mutual friend of ours who became a Liverpool fan this this uh, this year. So uh, not not the best morning for me with them them losing on a own goal uh, <laughs> after blowing a breakaway where they could have won the game. So yeah, I've been better. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that, but it sounds like it was a great turnout this weekend in Boston, and uh, certainly. Kind of turn some heads, I think, in terms of the the narrative that Boston isn't a soccer city. I think they kind of proved that wrong. So I'm looking forward to the anti-soccer piece that will come out in the Boston Globe inevitably sometime this week. But um, it, it is one of those things where you see an event like that and you realize how many soccer fans there are, really passionate soccer fans there are, um, you know, in Boston and in Massachusetts. And you wonder what what could be if the Revolution were to ever get a stadium in Boston and were to ever spend the money to put a you know truly competitive, good team out on the field and, and try to try to capitalize on what is a really passionate fan base in Boston. Um, from you know, for soccer fans, just not necessarily Revolution fans. Well, it's a very good point, and it's a conversation we've had multiple, multiple times. I think we'll try to avoid getting into the uh, endless soccer what what if scenarios uh, that I, I think we've been talking about for the last decade. But um, instead, we'll focus on uh, yesterday's match. Pretty positive. Uh, we're in much better spirits than we were last week, Sean. Um, so let's hop right into it. Two one victory. Uh, a lot of a lot of changes. A whole basically a line change uh for the revolution uh six changes from last week's uh starting lineup certainly um Friel kind of turned some heads after calling out his team last week um Sean what was your key takeaway from this match I mean the lineup you saw out there was really if you, if you were to go down the the revolution roster and try to pick out the guys that you know are always going to put it in 100% effort and not care as much necessarily about the talent level um I think that's what we saw out there in this game with you know Jones and and by in the midfield with Caldwell um, getting a start again with you know Farrell back in the lineup um, with Annie Babo you know one guy whose effort you can never question um, and of course you know Bunbury back out there and you know maybe Aguadelo doesn't necessarily fall in that category all the time but um, I was kind of shocked when I saw the lineup changes that were out there I was shocked that Christian Pena was dropped from the 18 entirely um, you know I wasn't surprised there were this many changes based on the the comments we heard. Um, but you know, when I first saw this lineup out there, I was trying to figure out how it was going to line up in the field. There was going to be a five-three-two, you know, five-four-one, something you know, strange like that. Um, it ended up being a pure four-four-two um, with Brandon By at right wing or right midfield rather, and, and uh, Dewan Jones at left midfield, and you know, Heal and Caldwell really playing as you know two-way central midfielders. Uh, Heal was at times the the furthest guy back on the pitch. There were times where it almost looked like he was playing center back <laughs> with his positioning, and you know, he was a phenomenal player in this game. Of course, we'll talk a lot more about him. Um, but, you know, when I saw the lineup on the pitch, I didn't think it was going to work, um, and I was proved wrong. Uh, you know, my biggest takeaway from this one is, is you know, Carly's heel is the real deal. 
um, and in every way and, you know, capable of really putting on a lot of work defensively. We've, we've seen the effort from him. But in this game, um, when I saw this lineup, I thought the Revolution were going to get, you know, torn to shreds in the center of midfield because he was going to have to do a lot of defensive work. But he did a lot of defensive work and did it really well and was still able to get forward and, and put in a lot of offense. Um, so, you know, some people were calling this a diamond. Uh, it really wasn't a diamond. Heel and, and Caldwell were both, you know, playing both ways of the, the pitch in this one, uh, getting back on defense and getting forward. So, you know, that was the, the surprising thing to me was, you know, how much defensive contribution Hill was able to make and, and still get involved offensively um, and this lineup that I didn't really think would work um, did work and we can talk more about whether it's going to work long term um, but for this one game it was the, the right move by Brad Friel to go out there and, and put guys that he knew were going to put the effort in um, you know if I'm to, to you know nitpick a little bit I thought uh, De La Maya, um, you know, probably should have started over Mancian because I think Mancian was you know, more of a, a question mark for the effort the previous week than De La Mayo was. Um, but I guess you don't take out your, your $1.4 million a year uh, center back slash captain in a game like this, and, and they, they didn't. Um, but, you know, all the other changes really worked out, um, even if, you know, Jones and Bay in a lot of ways are, you know, still looked pretty raw. Yeah, and it's interesting you bring up Mancian too because I, I... – didn't really think De La Maya had a lot of issues with effort. I think on a skill level, probably De La Maya and Anibaba are kind of interchangeable. Um, so I wasn't totally surprised to see Anibaba get the start, especially after Anibaba had put in a really, really good um, game at Dallas. Uh, so I, I do agree with your statement there too. But um, not, not only did Mancien stay in the starting lineup, but he also still had the captain's armband, which I know we questioned last week. And we, we said that, you know, if, if there's not a lot of effort on the field, doesn't the captain bear a little bit of responsibility? So um, to my, I mean, I didn't see anyone say there was a change in armband. So I, I assume he still has the armband, uh, but um, yeah, I, I, I was pretty surprised that Mancien is one of the players that didn't seem to be one of the guys that Brad Friedel was talking about, um, especially after he was touted as the guy that would come in and solidify the back line. And not a whole lot has changed ever since he came back in. Um, getting back to Carlos Gil, though, which you talked about, um, you know, you, you mentioned that he was going back and playing, you know, getting back and playing defense. That's something that's been going on more and more all year. And so I feel like these tactics are a little bit more uh, adjusted and suited for him. Uh, and I think him and Scott Caldwell both had really, really strong influence on the game. Obviously, Carlos Hill had a lot more um, just to go through his his stats because they were pretty ridiculous. Um, one assist, uh, another near assist, too, on the uh, long cross to one Agadello that Agadello just could not connect on. Should have been an assist. <laughs> should have been. Yeah, should have been two assists. But. Uh, six chances created, three shots total, 113 touches. He was 87 uh, pass completion. Uh, that was 74 for 85. Uh, that includes um, seven for 10 on long balls. And he also had uh, eight crosses and 16 ball recoveries. Um, he was pretty much everywhere. It seemed like the Reds were just trying to get him the ball and he would try to make something happen. Um, so I, I think he had more passes completed in the attacking third than um, Minnesota United had attempted. So uh, just to give you kind of a sense of how important Heal was uh, in yesterday's game and uh, how much ball control the Revs had. It was really one-sided overall. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was a really promising game for him. Uh, I, I think it really suited uh, his skills, and I think being able to play back a little bit more and have the game kind of uh, play out in front of him, uh, he was able to find more more players uh 
as we said, as you said, um, I'll, I'll say that my, my big takeaway is that, and, and not to kind of put a damper on this game, but there seems to be an issue with the players that the Revs are playing up top at striker where they just can't seem to get a shot on net. And Sean, I'm kind of piggybacking off of a tweet you sent yesterday where Teal Bunbury, Caicedo 2, and Juan Agadello still don't have a shot on target, which seems pretty incredible because we're five games into the season and all three of those guys are players that you would expect expect to be kind of reliable. Um, Bunbury obviously had double-digit goals last year. Juan Agadello, we've talked about, you know, moving him back up top and, and letting him shine. And then you have Caicedo, too, who has had limited time. Uh, he hasn't been in the lineup, but he was touted as a guy who um, could put shots on frame and could finish. So um, really, really concerning from that trio that we're five games in, and not only do they not have a goal, uh, but they don't have a shot on target. Not, I, I even add on, too, that Teal Bunbury – you know, he, he got credit for an assist yesterday, but there was a play where Dewan Jones has the second goal. Dewan Jones leads him onto onto goal, and Bunbury completely scuffs a shot, but it just so happens that he scuffs a shot um, that, that that rolls right to Brandon By, who is able to put a shot on frame, who is able to finish the chance. Uh, so I, I didn't think that was a good look for Teal Bunbury either. I think he really struggled yesterday. He, he has moments where he um, is really, really good, but he can't seem to put shot on frame for whatever reason so um sean any thoughts on the uh striker trio that seemingly can't find the net yeah just building off of that you know bunbury has 10 shots at this point of the season zero on frame um which is not you know, not very good um juan Aguadello has played 230 minutes and has only two shots neither of which are on frame which and that might even be worse the fact that he's only managed two shots um of course bunbury's played more minutes at 413 but uh two shots through 230 minutes for a striker is, is pretty poor and uh, of course caicedo has limited minutes so it's hard to put too much blame on him he has one shot also not on frame um but when you're five games into the season and your striker is not only have contributed zero goals, um, but have contributed, you know, zero shots on target. That is, you know, pretty worrying. Um, and, you know, Aguadello, I think on that cross from, from heel, if he was a bit more alert and a, you know, he could have put that away and should have put that away. Um, Bunbury on that, that Jones play, you know, I think he should have put that chance away. I think he's had other chances this season that, that he should have put away and hasn't. Um, you know, the one thing you can say about Bunbury is, you, again, you know, if you're talking about effort, you can never question his effort. He works harder than just about anybody out there. Um, you know, he created that penalty earlier in the season. You got to give him credit for that. Um, but, you know, overall, when you have, you know, three strikers that aren't finding the back of the net, um, yeah, that's a concern, even if the Revolution are winning. And, you know, to say they're winning, they've only won one game. Um, so I think that's going to be a problem for the Revolution unless one of those guys gets hot going forward. And with that said, Brian Wright just scored a goal down in uh, Birmingham yesterday and had an assist. Um, I don't think we'll be seeing him get called up anytime soon. But interesting that, you know, he's scoring when the, the strikers here are not. And, of course, we don't know who that DP player the Revolution is going to bring in other than the fact that they're, you know, allegedly going to be someone that helps the attack. Um, so maybe they'll get yet another striker to play up top. Um, but right now, yeah, I think that's absolutely a concern that these guys aren't finding the back of the net and aren't even finding the net to, you know, put a shot on frame. Yeah, and it's very concerning, too, for a team that one month into the season, I think our primary concern is that they aren't generating enough chances. They aren't generating enough offense. Um, when you have a team like that, you need to take the, make the most of your chances. And, you know, we, we, I don't want to rag on Juan Agadell too much because sometimes, you know, you, you just barely miss. You don't connect with a play. I, I understand. But, you know, a play like yesterday where he barely, you know, just barely misses it. Wide I open. mean, if, if Brandon Bai is not, you know, right place, right time on that Bunbury scuff, you know, Minnesota and New England might tie 1-1 and we're, we're having a very different conversation right now. So, um, you know, when you don't create a lot of chances, you need to, to make the most of your opportunities. And when your strikers aren't putting the ball, you know, on target, um, that's a, to me, that's a pretty big concern. 
Um, that, I'm, I'm not uh, slamming the panic button too, too much just yet because I think all three of those guys are higher quality than what we've seen. But, you know, Teal Bun- there was one play where Teal Bunbury took a shot and it just landed. It, 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 it was a sky-high miss. I mean, it was it was a horrible, horrible shot. Um, so I, I'm not entirely sure what gets done to fix or if it will kind of kind of recede back to normal. But uh, right now, there's just not a lot of efficiency up top. I mean, none of these guys have proven recently to be you know consistent double-digit goal scorers. Bunbury reached it last year for the first time in his career. Aguadelo hasn't been there. Um, you know, I don't I don't know who is going to be that that takes over, and maybe it is Juan Caicedo, and maybe he's just not fit yet. But you know, we've only seen him for 33 minutes. But I have to say, I haven't been extremely impressed in those 33 minutes. I, you know, Brad Feldman in the game last night pointed out his unorthodox running style and said that I can throw a defense off. I'm, I think that's a, a bit generous to to kind of spit it that way. Um, but you know, he seems a bit slow, and you know, maybe that's okay if he's a great finisher and if um, you know, Carly Carly's heel is creating all these chances. Um, but I'm not sure he's going to be the answer either. I'm not writing him off yet. It's still early. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely a concern five games into the season that these guys aren't doing more. In this game, you know, Bunbury had four shots. Uh, Aguadelo had two shots. Again, um, you know, none of them on target, and both of them had chances that they should have done better with. And like, like you said, that that by play, um, you know, if, if by wasn't there, that's that's a pretty embarrassing miss for Teal Bunbury to not even get that on frame. And it, you know, good good job on by getting that goal. Um, that was one of those goals that was very reminiscent of goals the Revs concede because there were two Minnesota defenders that were in position to get to that ball before by that that just didn't react and didn't follow the the late runner. Um, so reminiscent of some some Revs defending there, and again took some poor defending and some very alert play from Brandon Bay for, you know, Bunbury's scuff to not be a complete embarrassment. Uh, going back to um, Juan Caicedo, too, just because I, I find it interesting that he's still not able to crack the 18 because of the kind of inefficiency up top. And as you said, he's at 33 minutes. Maybe it's just a matter of not being fit. But on a scale of 1 to 10, are you concerned that maybe – there's some buyer remorse in Caicedo that, you know, we're five games into the season. He, he There were no real reported, I, I think, until the last week of the preseason, it wasn't really reported that he was um, injured. Um, do you think there's any buyer's remorse? Because to me, he should be starting at this point, don't you think? You know, there's a, a few things, and I'm you know going to speculate a little bit. Um, but like I said, my first impressions of Caicedo is he's, you know, not, you know, very fast, which we're two knocks on, I think, Machado and, and Hache, and uh, maybe the speed of play he needs to get used to. Um, the other thing that I, I thought was interesting was all these comments from Friedel about how they want the, the next DP to be another guy from Europe. So I almost wonder if Friedel's not particularly happy with the the success of the scouting that they've done for these South American players like um, Caicedo, like Machado, like Hache, and, you know, even Pania right now, who's, who's after his great season, is, is not making into the lineup. Um, I don't know if uh, to uh, to use Friedel's favorite word, it's a mentality thing or or what. Um, but it seems like Friedel now wants to, to lean more towards European guys, and maybe I'm just speculating too much. But um, you know, again, I think it's still early. You know, he had some injuries that that slowed him down early on. Um, but I thought with all the changes that were made, that this would be the game that we'd finally see Caicedo get a start. And you know, maybe with all the misses we talk about, next week will be the game. But you know, so far it is a little bit concerning that we haven't seen more minutes from him. I would say. Yeah, and actually, you, you kind of hit up on something that I was going to touch on is that if you were going to get his first start under the belt, I think this is the game. Um, next week, you have to go on the road at Columbus, and you're probably not going to generate as many chances as you would. The next week, you return home, but you play at Atlanta. You play home versus Atlanta United, then home versus the Red Bulls. 
So, and then following that, home versus Montreal. So this is a game where you're going to control the game. Um, you're, you're, in theory, going to have more chances this week than you are over the next three. So you would think that if you want to get them on the right foot and kind of get them to gel, this is kind of your game. This or FC Cincinnati is going to be your game where, um, you know, you can work out some rough patches. I don't think even though Atlanta is currently in last place, I don't think you want to be working on some rough patches or getting a guy into gel with the team against Atlanta United or the Red Bulls. Um, So yeah, I'm a little concerned. And I know before the season we talked about, you know, I kind of said, you know, if Juan Agadello starts out hot, you know, would they put in Caicedo over Juan Agadello at that point? And I said, I don't think so. I said, I think we did over under five goals on the season and you and Seth both uh, raised that number up to seven. Um, I, I think over under five goals might be a little high right now for Caicedo. I don't know if he's ever going to get uh, into the starting lineup because uh, if the, if this isn't a matter of fitness and if he isn't fully healthy, I'm not totally sure what's the holdup here. And when he's coming into games, he's not coming into games in the 60th minute or the 70th minute. He's coming in late in the games. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't really, this doesn't strike me as a signing that they're totally happy with or that he's not kind of where they want him to be. It might be a matter of he isn't gelling with the team, which is kind of what something Brad Fruel has been pushing the past couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, I, his exclusion from the 11, I know there are all these changes and they still could not find a way to get Caicedo into the starting lineup. Um, that kind of shocked me that we're five games in and he's still not making the lineup. So, I mean, uh, I, th- I think with Friedel's system in particular, it hurts players a lot when they miss part of preseason. We saw that with Kellen Rowe last year when he missed part of preseason with injuries. And I think, it, you know, that probably hurt Caicedo as well. Um, but like like you said, you know, we discussed whether, if, you know, if Juan Aguadillo got hot or Bunbury got hot, whether he'd work his way in. Um, you know, both of them are very much not hot right now, um, with the exception of that, you know, one fantastic play that, that earned the penalty kick a few weeks ago for that, that Bunbury did. Um, but, but other than that, the, the team has been really... Uh, the two of them, I should say, have been have been poor at finishing chances, and you know, I, I think there's every opportunity for him to come in. And I, again, I would not be surprised if we saw him perhaps get a start next week. Um, if we don't see him get a start next week, or at least come off the bench earlier, then I will, you know, be ready to start hitting the panic button on whether or not he was the the right signing for the Revs, or whether whether or not they actually uh, plan to use him significantly this year. Uh, but yeah, again, it's concerning that this far into the season he has 33 minutes. Um, you know, when even if he has been working his way back to fitness from injuries. Let's talk about the players that actually did play yesterday, or at least played significantly. Um, as we said, there were uh, six changes. Uh, Pania and Knighton dropped all together from the 18, which was pretty stunning, I would say, for in, in both players, more so Pania. We'll, we'll talk about him um, in a little bit. But uh, Fagundes also dropped to the bench along with De La Mea, uh, Luis Caicedo, and Wilfred Zahibo uh, in for them. Uh, Cody Cropper got the start net. Jalil Baba, who we mentioned, uh, got the start and also scored, uh, potentially man of the match, depending on who you ask. Um, Andrew Farrell returned, made his 2019 debut at right back. Uh, Dewan Jones uh, started at left mid. Uh, Brandon By moved from right back to right mid. Um, Sean, uh, did anyone stand out yesterday uh, that any of these lineup changes stand out to you as a major positive? Uh, Andy Baba, like you pointed out, obviously a, a fantastic match both defensively and offensively. That was a you know fantastic header. Um, I, I joked about it on Twitter, but um, he's had a, a, a better goal or a better shot than any of the Revolution forwards have this year with this goal. He's only played two games, and he's had a better cross than any of the Revolution wingers have had this year with that cross that that set up um, their goal in the first game. Uh, so Andy Baba's played twice and has been you know, great in both games, and I think he's earned a, a lot more minutes. Um, you know, obviously easy positive pick there. Um, you know, I thought Brandon By and, and Juwan Jones, um, both 
their passing was was poor and needs to improve significantly. Uh, Jones had you know forty seven point eight percent passing, and there were one or two times you could see Carly's heel get really frustrated with his passes, a couple of hospital balls. Um, but of course, on the you know the the last goal that By scored, Jones phenomenal spin move, pass it to Bunbury, fantastic through pass, um, and and set up By. So I, I well set up set up Bunbury for what should have been a shot on target, but ended up being a, a By goal. Uh, so he you know I think there's a lot of room for improvement from him, but also some you know really exciting signs from Jones and of course his pace and buys pace are, are two great weapons and by only passing at 56% again um, you'd like to see that go up a lot but he had two key passes uh, scored that goal so you can't complain too much from him I thought the two of them you know were exactly what the revolution needed in this game it was a two guys that could run all game and, and, and really terrorize the defense with their pace um, I don't know that long term that's going to be the solution for the revolution you know in fact I think if those two guys are your starting wingers all season long I, I think you're going to be in some trouble um, but a lot of potential from those two guys and, and both players that I think uh, could contribute a lot for the revolution off the be- off the bench as a, as a change of pace should you know Pania or Fagundes um, you know find their form again and, and step back in um, but those two in this game obviously big positives uh, I thought Agudelo had an okay game I think he definitely should have put that that finishing chance away I think he had the time to get to that ball and, and put a better better shot on it um, so that's a you know big knock on him I thought again Bunbury's effort was you know for the most part there but four shots none on target um, you know he should have done a lot better with that Juwan Jones chances it's very flattering that got, he got an assist out of that um you know so so the change up top i i don't think was the best but it, you know got the job done again um and andrew farrell i think it was great for the revolution to get him back in the lineup um and you know playing right back and i think he provides a lot more defensively than brandon by does um again speaking of passing 62.8 percent passing andy baba 65.1 percent passing nancy on 66.7 percent passing uh castillo 75 percent that's fine by as i mentioned 56 uh heel way better than anyone else in the pitch at 87 percent caldwell you know good at 78.3 percent jones 47.8 percent bunbury 80 percent aguadelo 76.9 percent but you know your your wingers and Farrell and uh, By and Jones were all you know subpar in passing, and I think that's something that didn't haunt the Revolution in this game. But going forward, if they don't get better, could haunt the Revolution. And of course, your center backs being poor at passing um, that could haunt the Revolution as well. There were some turnovers in this game that I think Minnesota could have done better to take advantage of and didn't. Um, so you know, for all the positive of this game, there were some worrying signs. Uh, but of course, you know, Jones and By, you have to give them a lot of credit for the effort they put in for what they did, even if their play was at times sloppy. Yeah, no, and and as you say, I don't think passing was re- really one of the main focal points. I think because as you said, outside of heel, um, you know, the pass percentage across the board were pretty poor. Um, I, getting to Jones and By because I think those are the two that a lot of people are talking about. I think they show that they are really, really solid athletes. Um, they really work well in a system where speed uh, and agility is, you know, utilized. Um, both need work on their passing accuracy, as you said. Um, I'm not sure if they are both long-term, everyday MLS starters, but I, I certainly see a lot of potential with them, uh, especially Jones. I thought Jones made a really, really strong impact on the game, but statistically, you look at what he did, passing the ball, um, 11 for 23 passing, 0 for 7 on crosses, although there was one actually into the box that I thought maybe Juan Agadello could have connected on, but it, it looked like it was just in front of him. So, you know, it might be a timing issue. It might be, you know, first 90 minutes for Jones. Um but overall, I think both those guys had really, really positive games, uh, and I expect to see more of them in the future. I also think, too, that I, Brandon Mai is not a defender. He is a uh, midfielder slash winger. Uh, I, I think he does a really, really good job you know, taking on players one-on-one and 
you know, both these guys had some really, really strong. Uh, By had eight ball recoveries. Jones had five. Jones wasn't dispossessed at all during this game. Uh, so they, they both are able to, they have good ball skills. Uh, they are able to, uh, you know, add a little bit more to this offense, um, especially in a kind of game where you're keeping the ball on the opposition's half, uh, opposition's third. Uh, you're using a press. Um, it seemed to really, really go well for them. Uh, you also touched on Andy Baba. Uh, he also had a really solid game defensively, eight interceptions, uh, six clearances. He was four for four on tackles, although I don't think it showed up in the box score. But there was one play where Minnesota was driving into the Revolution territory and looked like Andy Baba either fell down or he was – he looked like he was going for a tackle, like a slide tackle, but he was yards away from it. So I'm not entirely sure if that just didn't register. Um, but overall, not not to I think that was his one blemish on the day. But, um, you know, as you say, he brings a lot of intensity. Uh, he's a really solid third center back. He, he kind of seems to bring a spark whenever he's inserted into the offense. Uh, and, yeah, that was a really, really solid header he got from Gill. I mean, obviously, that was a great cross. Uh, but he called for the ball, as Brad Feldman, Feldman saw him call for it and, and said Annie Baba was on the back post. Uh, Gill laid it perfectly to him, and Annie Baba got a really, really strong header to it. So um, I think you got to give credit to all three of those guys. Um, one guy I do want to talk about that you did not mention, though, Sean, uh, is Cody Cropper, who made his first start since 2017. Yes. And his first start, his first start uh, under Brad Friedel, um, after playing – all but one game last year as the third goalkeeper and not making the 18. He has been making the bench and he's been moved up to the starting lineup uh, with Matt Turner uh, moving from outside the 18 to inside the 18 and Brad Knighton just falling out completely. Uh, so Cody Cropper, uh, John, give me your thoughts on, on Cody Cropper's first start of 2019. I thought he was good. My, my biggest knock on Cody Cropper, um, you know, for the revolution, well, two things he's, you know, historically had a very poor save percentage for the revs um but secondly his distribution has been really poor and i thought for the most part in this game um we talked about knight and you know messing up distribution a bit in the last game i thought cody cropper did a good job with distribution in this game i thought he you know made a couple of good saves i thought he had a you know very good game for um a guy that hadn't played uh, a professional game in, in over a year um so i was impressed with his performance i you know i'm still not convinced that he's a better goalkeeper than than matt turner long term um but you know i i do like seeing the revolution play younger guys whether it's cropper or turner over you know 34 year old brad knight and that um you know is a good goalkeeper but you know what he's going to get and you know what his ceiling is um so i think cropper is now the the position is his to lose. I was a little bit surprised that Knighton went all the way from starter to out of the eighteen, and it's you know pretty you know, damning indictment from Brad Friedel to have done that to him, um, like he did with Pania. Uh, but I, I thought Cropper you know played well, and I'm sure his you know practicing had earned him that start, and I think he's going to get the start next weekend as well after this performance. Yeah, that was actually one of our, our Twitter questions from Mike Kennedy is should Cropper start again next week? And I think he certainly earned another start. I don't see why he would pull him. Um, really, the only goal he conceded was the penalty kick, which you can't really blame him for. Um, he had a pretty decent save on uh, the, a corner kick uh, in the 28th minute there uh, that ricocheted off the bar. Uh, and he, he also was really good coming off his, his line, uh, taking away any uh, long balls from Minnesota. Um, so I, I think overall, I think he certainly earns another start. Um, and I, I'm not sure if he's going to last all season. Uh, I, I, we've mentioned before in 2017, um, his the difference between goals against to expected goals against. He was worst in the MLS at 8.39 and no one was even close to it. Um, I, I will say, too, I, I was looking up expected goal stats and, and I was a little surprised Knighton dropped all the way out of the 18. Um, but I looked up his stat, uh, looked up the the 
stats this year on expected goals and the difference between goals allowed and expected goals allowed. Uh, Knighton had 1.7 more than expected, uh, and the next highest in MLS is 1.15. So by far, statistically, if you're going off of expected goals, Brett Knighton is the worst goalkeeper in MLS to this point. Um, so that, that, that probably – and someone else too said that, you know, Brett Knighton hasn't really done a whole lot – to lose the job, you look at the goals he's conceded. None look her- horrific, but he hasn't really done anything to save his job. Um, I think he's conceded eight goals and saved six. He really has not done a whole lot that he hasn't stopped any goals that you would ho- hope he would make. So, so I, I think with the he has a shorter leash, um, especially to being the older of the two, because if you're not going to win soccer games, you at least want to develop the players you have. And I, I think. You have Matt Turner and you have Cody Cropper, and they're both younger options. They both have bright futures, in my opinion. So um, I would say Brad Knight had a, a bit of a short leash um, compared to some other positions around the field. So I, I, I'm a little surprised he got dropped out of the 18 altogether. Um, but I think that more has to do with the fact that there are two younger guys below him. And if Brad Knight isn't turning in sterling performances or adding additional value beyond standard goalkeeper X, um, then – uh, why is he starting? And so that's my that's my take on why he's been dropped altogether. Yeah, the, um, I think the writing was on the wall from the last game that he wasn't starting this game with how much Brad Friedel hammered on that. I think I think he did it his halftime interview in post game where he hammered on that that uh, goal kick that was right up the middle um, when the Revolution were, were stretched out. Um, you know, when Friedel picks on a guy individually that much, I think it's a safe bet to say he's not playing the next game. But what I thought was interesting was Friedel's comments after the game that Cody Cropper had the best two or three weeks of training um, that he'd that he'd ever seen, better than he'd seen him train since he had been at the club. Um, so, you know, credit to Cody Cropper for going through an entire season where he wasn't making 18 and, um, you know, going through again the start of this season where he was making the bench finally. But um, for credit to Cody Cropper for hanging tough and, and finding a way to get motivated these last two or three weeks to to impress and, and get back in the starting lineup, that speaks a lot to, to his uh, mentality, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, it's the uh, best two or three weeks in training since Matt Turner uh, last season where, uh, Brad, where uh, Brad was – really stunned at how amazing Matt Turner was. And Brad said, oh boy, why is this guy uh, not with the U.S. men's national team? Uh, he called him one of the best goalies uh, <laughs> in the country and uh, then relegated him outside the 18 to start the, the 2019 season. So um, one thing to add to on, on Brad Knight, though, because you, you mentioned that Friedel uh, discussed the kick up the middle. R- remember, too, there was a play at Toronto. It didn't get a lot of play because it didn't lead to anything. But Brad Knight collected the ball and then just punted it downfield and Toronto, there was absolutely no one downfield. He was not waiting for anyone. So I wonder if the, you know, it goes beyond that one play where Friedel's not exactly pumped with the way Knighton has been distributing the ball from the back and, and punting it downfield. Um, it seems like there are times where Knighton is just booting it as long as humanly possible and isn't really aiming for anyone or doesn't really have anything in mind. Um, so I, I'm not totally shocked by the switch, uh, especially out of the context of uh, Friedel did make that comment last week. I guess it didn't register that Knighton was in the doghouse because um, he's the goalie. And I don't know, we we, we know we're getting out of Brad Knighton. Uh, but yeah, you say that and that, that does kind of ring a bell that um, he hasn't put the best couple weeks going forward. So, uh, but you agree, you did say Cody Crawford start next week. I, I think he gets the, the start next week as well, right? Yeah, I think so too. And the, the one other point that I wanted to make that's, that's sort of related. And I think it was uh, Julian Cardillo that pointed this out uh, was, you know, you talk about the goal, the, the revolution conceded last week where Knighton just kind of aimlessly kicked a long ball up the, the revolutions 
second goal tonight was again a was a goal kick by Minnesota's keeper where he kind of aimlessly kicked it up the middle and the Revolution won the ball and, and quickly countered and scored. I don't think Minnesota was quite as stretched defensively and had a better chance of stopping this one than the the Revolution did in that last one. But it was it was interesting to see after last week that the the Revolution this week did the opposite and, and scored a goal off of a kind of aimless goal kick up the middle. Uh, while we're talking about Brad Friedel, Sean, uh, Brad certainly kind of took a victory lap after this game uh, where he seemed to criticize the media for commenting on the lack of offensive playmakers, the lack of energy. He seemed to take offense. He, he mailed a, a quote where it was something like, to the effect of, I know a lot of people are surprised that we can motivate these players, uh, which is something that we said last week, not saying that he listens to our podcast, but just saying that is something that we did say last week. Um, Sean, any thoughts on Brad Friedel's kind of cagey post-game reaction? Yeah, so I want to read one of his quotes, and I have a, a few thoughts here. Um, he was asked about the work rate in the first half, and this is a quote from Friedel. Quote, you guys and a lot of experts out there are probably surprised that we can motivate the players to work hard, but all those players, every single day, we see them working hard, and the others that weren't involved, a couple of first-half performances that we've had here that haven't been up to par shouldn't be the focal point. Very, very proud of the players' performance today, end quote. Um, so, you know, I can dissect that quote a lot of ways. Um, the first thing I'll say is, you know, if Brad Frito wants to turn this into a, you know, us against the media type thing for the players, I think that's great. Um, if that's what it takes to get the players motivated for games to, you know, read bad media coverage and um, that gets them fired up, then that, you know, that's a great strategy and good for Frito and this press conference and the way he handled it kind of implies that maybe that's what they're trying to do. And even I think last week it was Bunbury that made something about having to drown out the media. Um, but so, you know, that's fine. I'm, you know, more than okay with that. But it is kind of hilarious to see Brad Frito after last week talking about how hard it was to motivate his players without relegation and you know without players without fans going to beat him up after the game um you know all of those things out there and also you know harping on how bad the first half performances have been to come out this week and talk about how you shouldn't be talking about the first half performances you know what you guys are saying that we can't motivate our players so it's like brad friedel you know put these things out there that you know he knew the media was going to talk about and then use the media talking about it to then motivate his players which you know again if that's what he wants to do is is fine but I also find it a, a, a bit hilarious. And his other quote where he was talking about how, you know, I'm trying to find this one um, about the, the creativity. Oh, this is so this is the other quote from Friedel. Quote, again, a lot of people have been saying that we don't have creative players. We do. It takes time to get the people together for it all to come together. I'm really proud of the way the players apply themselves in the game. End quote. And, you know. I don't know. Maybe I missed it, but I didn't really see a lot of people saying the revolution were lacking creative players. I think there was a lot of talk about, you know, Pena and Fagundes being creative players that weren't performing this year. Um, and also, you know, talk about how it's kind of ridiculous four games into a season when you've had guys for most of preseason and, you know, only one or two changes to be complaining about time to click. Um, but, you know, again, if, if this is the approach Friel is going to take and what he needs to do to get his players motivated, um, I don't really have a problem with it. I just thought these quotes were, you know, kind of funny and it might be a bit too soon for for Friedel to take a victory lap when they, you know, got their win in what, what is it, their fourth win in, in 21 games, maybe a, a bit too soon to be, you know, bring the confetti down. But just my thoughts. Yeah, he's not playing and he, he's not coaching the Sixers. You need to hold off on the confetti on that one. Ah, <laughs> dad joke there. Um, yeah, no, it, it. I'll I'll go a little harder on him and and hopefully he can use these quotes for uh, next week. Not saying he's listening, but if he is, uh, you one know, more quick point there. We, I oh, should mention, and I can't I can't find the quote right now, but it was two weeks ago where he said he paid no attention to the media and didn't read the stuff that we wrote or any of that. So it's kind of funny that now the past two weeks have been talking about how he reads what we write and you know, <laughs> a little bit a little bit hypocritical. 
Oh, oh yeah, hypocritical is totally the word. I mean, how can you say that you, you know, it doesn't hurt enough to lose here. It doesn't hurt enough. And then you're getting on people saying, you know, the offense isn't creating enough chances. And the offense isn't creating enough chances. <laughs> you didn't you didn't score against an expansion side who is missing half of their lineup at home. Your other game at home, your home opener, uh, your expected goals was, what, 1.2, and you had a penalty kick that was missed? I mean, they haven't had a really stellar offensive performance until yesterday. So for him to kind of say, you know, criticize the media for criticizing them on on not being motivated and not creating enough chances, you are admitting that the team is not motivated and the team isn't creating enough chances. So I don't really know wh- why the spite. Um, I mean, of course, those those comments are going to come when you have bad performances week after week after week. So a bit bizarre. I, I understand that he took a lot of heat this week, um, you know, from pretty much all the reporters in the in the in the room. Uh, some national media kind of came at him. Some former MLS players came at him for his comments. Um, you know, I, I understand he might be a little bit bitter about that, but you, you can't in one breath say that, you know, Players aren't performing because fan angry fans aren't waiting for them at their cars, and then a second later be upset that people are reading mean thing, mean and honest things about your team. So I, it really kind of bizarre. I I, I understand that he kind of threw one or two comments out. He did last week too, um, but it seemed very very cagey this week. And uh, and I don't know. I think it's good. He, he'll be excited to go on the road <laughs> and not have to answer to the local media next week. Um, but I, I mean, coming home against Atlanta and and, and New York Red Bulls, I'm, I'm not I'm. Not jealous of the uh, reporters in the room for that one. Can, can we also comment on his uh, quote about how you know they had done these tactics before? If if the media had watched the preseason games, they would have known that. I mean, yeah, which they maybe, don't broadcast. Maybe, yeah, maybe if which you streamed, don't broadcast. Maybe if you streamed the preseason games, we would have would have yes. known that a little bit better. But yes, you know, yes, if, if you if you want to, if Brad Friedel wants to make the media the enemy to to motivate his players, I have no problem with that. It's just hilarious. <laughs> yeah, Brad, you're absolutely right. We would know if we were able to watch the <laughs> preseason games, which you opted not to stream because you had a trialist in that you opted not to sign you're correct we we would know more if you gave us more information you are correct that's i, I, I guess <laughs> i mean and i think the game they played or at least one of the games they played this similar formation uh was the game where they're down two nothing to orlando in the first half and i think they changed the formation and ended up losing like six one or whatever um so yeah we didn't i don't think we saw that game but uh, if we had i don't know if our opinions would have changed but who knows Anyway, uh, so anyone else uh, you want to talk about that that was still in the lineup? I, I wanted to give just kind of a quick uh, tip of the cap to um, Scott Caldwell, who I thought played pretty yeah. well. Um, obviously, too, I, I think you know there's kind of some questions about how that midfield would work. It would be a little bit bare with By and Jones on the outside, but I thought Gillen Caldwell played very, very well, uh, very, very well covering that midfield together and just kind of Caldwell didn't put a shot on frame, uh, but he was uh, 47 for 60 on passing. Um, Really, uh, 18 six, six for tackles. 20. Yep, six tackles, 18 for 23 in the attacking third. Um, kind of played error free ball, too. I think the knock on Scott Caldwell is that he had eight ball recoveries. He was only dispossessed twice. The kind of the knock on him is that he turns the ball over a lot, uh, but he didn't. He, he seemed to have a really, really strong game uh, and was kind of what the doctor ordered and really complimented uh, Carlos Hill well. Um, any other or thoughts on uh, Scott Caldwell? Yeah, I thought he played a great game. I think he came off with a knock late, if I'm remembering correctly, um, for Zahibo. And I think that, if I'm not 
mistaken, I think he left with a knock. So I think that's you know a worrying sign because he had a, a really strong performance and certainly earned uh, more starts. I, you know, I don't know why Zahibo, and we talked about this last week, so I'm not going to harp on it, would ever start over him based on what we've seen from Caldwell. Um, but you know, if, if he picked up a knock in this game, that's a, a big blow for the Revolution next week because I thought he had a very good performance. No, I, I agree 100%. Um, while we're talking about Scott Caldwell, it should be noted, too, that the, the big piece of Revs news is that uh, Scott Caldwell signed an extension with the team, a multi-year extension. Um, his last extension, I kind of looked, I, I tried looking for details on his last contract. It looks like it was signed in March 2016. So assuming it was a four-year deal or a three-year deal with a team option or something of that effect, um, it looks like it was running out this year. I, I doubt they'd sign anyone for five years or beyond. So I, I imagine that this was a contract year for Scott Caldwell. Um, Sean, we, we don't have any terms. Terms are undisclosed, but we're going to kind of play a little bit of a game and see if we uh, <laughs> if we would uh, we, we give the thumbs up or thumbs down on this move. So um, Julian Cardillo uh, reported that these deals are typically two-year contracts with a one-year team option. That would mean that uh, Caldwell signed for 2020, 2021, and then a team option for 2022. Um, if you want to get his age seasons, it's uh, he'll be signed through his age 29 20, and 30 season and then have a team option for uh, his uh, age 31 season in 2022. Um we don't know salary figures, but let's throw out a figure of one seventy-five thousand. Uh, if he's making one hundred seventy-five thousand over this two or three-year contract, do you think that this is a, a good signing for the Revolution? I think that's still a huge bargain for the twenty fifteen Revolution team MVP Scott Caldwell. To if he was making one hundred seventy-five k, um, you know, he made one forty last year. I think he's due for a raise. Um, I don't think that's enough of a raise. What what, what would you well? I guess it's kind of hard to pinpoint where market value is, but I, I kind of just threw out 175 because he, he seems to be one of the more controversial players uh, on the revolution where a lot of people seem to want to move on from him. And a lot of people seem, I mean, we, we obviously like Scott Caldwell as a player. We think he adds a lot of value, but, but I think that 175, the reason I kind of throw out that number right there is because I think he's going to be a guy that is going to be in and out of the bench, in and out of the starting lineup, kind of a rotation piece. But I still think at 175 to 200,000, um, with the amount of salaries are growing in MLS, I, I think he's a guy that is going to give you hustle. He's a hometown guy, obviously. He, he's gotten the Captain Iron Fang band at times. Uh, I think he's going to give you a lot of value at a position that right now the Revolution are pretty thin at. Um, obviously, I guess if you're going to play Carlos Guild in the central midfield and, and kind of go with two central midfielders, I guess you can swap out uh, Luis Caicedo and, and Scott Caldwell going forward. But for the most part, we were talking last week that there really isn't a lot of depth at this position and they kind of need someone to stabilize the central midfield. So I think you kind of lock him up for the rest of his prime. Um, it doesn't seem to be a, a huge risk. I mean, even if it goes beyond three years, let's say four years, you know, he's only, he's 32. I still don't see a massive decline in his skills until then. So um, yeah, I, I think this was a really, really smart move for the revolution uh, to lock up a guy that has been pretty reliable in the past few years. And, you know, unrevs like to kind of do it in advance. So that was nice to see, too. And he's a guy that deserves it. And I think, it, you know, anything 250K or less is you're, you're still getting a pretty good deal for, for Scott Caldwell. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense for me to for, for me to, to see them lock him up like that um, and, and hopefully keep him on the team for, for several more years. I think he's certainly outperformed uh, Wilfred Zahibo, who's making, uh, what is it, you know, 544,000. I don't think Scott Caldwell should get you know anywhere near that much, but um you know even if you bumped up Scott Caldwell's salary 100k, I think it's you know still a good deal. Yeah, and and you you have to wonder too considering the timing of this. If 
Luis Caicedo, who has kind of seemed to be relegated to the bench, uh, doesn't seem to be putting in the same performances as he did last year. Um, and Wilfred Zahibo, if their kind of poor performances to start the season kind of spurred getting this locked up sooner rather than later, because Caldwell really is the only guy that is going out there and giving you solid performances uh, or or at least solid effort. That's kind of the, the key word of the week. So um, it was a bit of strange timing because I, I don't remember the last time someone was signed in late March slash April um, to an extension. But um, I, I think he is a reliable piece. You know what you're getting out of him. Uh, so I think this was a really, really solid move by the Revs all around. So I give it a thumbs up. Yeah, no, absolutely. And before we finish talking about players in this game, I, we didn't really mention Mancian, and I think he goes in the category of players that did not have a good game. Um, and maybe I'm being harsh, but you know, a 31 year old veteran that's you know the captain of the team needs to be smarter about where his hand is on that you know handball penalty kick the Revolution gave up on. And you know, I think he's had a pretty poor season, and that was just you know something where yeah, fans are frustrated that they called that on VAR, but it was a blatant handball where his arm was up in the air, um, and you know, from a veteran of, of his caliber you'd expect better so i think he's you know a guy that um you know we weren't impressed with his performance a week ago and i wasn't impressed with his performance tonight or yesterday i should say rather so you, you know you, you take everything that the revolution did um and a lot of good performances i think he falls in the category of a guy that you still have a lot of question marks about um and you know whether he's worth the salary that he's making of 1.4 million uh you know just wanted to, to mention him as one guy that you know perhaps doesn't deserve much praise from this game now i it should be noted too that uh, beyond 2019, he has two team options. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see where he goes. Um, also, another thing too, Sean, I think actually you, you might have some bad info because what I see here is that his salary decreases to about 880,000 in 2019. So it looks like his contract was front loaded for the uh, two years. So sorry, just just to, <laughs> but is he still worth the money? I, I, I don't even know. that, even that I would say no. So yeah. Is he, right. He's still one of the highest paid defenders in MLS, even if his, he is taking a significant cut. So, you know, I, I would, I would still say definitely not worth the money. Um, and he needs to be at, at worst, a above average center back for it not to be a, you know, really poor signing, I'd say for the revolution at, at that price. Um, but you know, I, I, I don't think it's too harsh to say a defender of his caliber needs to know where his hands are when he's in the box in a play like that. And, and you know, sometimes you're unlucky with the handball. I get it. So even if I give him a pass a few minutes later, um, there was that corner kick that hit off the crossbar. What led to that was Mancien kind of went to ground. Um, there was a two on two and, and, and he kind of tried. He went for a tackle. He missed um, and the revolution recovered. But, you know, it was a bit of sloppy defending. It's not something you kind of expect from your, your center back to really the whole way around there was really really aggressive defending i know they wanted to press but it seemed like at times they were kind of um exposed in the back and, and there were a couple of um, fast breaks that minnesota just really could not capitalize on i don't know if that was by design or not um but yeah Man- mancian really just does not sometimes he just doesn't seem to have his head in the game and, and yeah, it really hasn't come together so far so no i, I agree with you 100 percent um I, I don't think he was you know wilfred zahibo terrible um, but you do expect a lot more from your captain and who is supposed to be the anchor of your defense. So, um, any, anyone else you wanted to comment on Sean, or should we go over to Twitter questions? I think, I think that was it for me. Um, and <laughs> you know, you, you speak of again, not to be too negative, but you, you look at the revolution's first goal in this one and they nearly gave up the equalizer seconds later. Um, so this game could have gone a, a lot differently and it's great that the revolution got some momentum and got some confidence. And I think they can use that going forward. Um, but again, I think it's way too soon to kind of start the, the victory lap and say everything's been, been fixed in new England um, until they put in a couple more good performances to follow up on this one. So again, you know, 
great result. Um, but you know, from from my perspective, not getting too you know, over the top excited and 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 saying that Friedel's figured out how to motivate all these guys. And you know, I think he needs to be able to motivate guys like Christian Panilla and Diego Fagundes long term. Um, if that's a problem to to get this team to actually truly be successful over the course of the season. Yeah, well, it should be interesting to see where the team goes. Uh, it should be noted that if you told me that at the end of March the Revolution would be in front of Atlanta and New York City FC, I'd be very excited. Uh, but uh, downside of that is those are the only two people, the only two teams the Revolution are in front of right now. So, yeah, I think it's uh, a little early for victory laps. Um, anyway, moving on to Twitter questions. Uh, Marcos Aguilar asks us, there has to be a place for Diego in this starting 11, right? I mean, I think yes, but I'm not really sure what that is right now. Um you know, again, like I said, I don't think, you know, Bai and Jones can long-term be your, your everyday starters at the position. I don't think they're ready yet. Maybe they'll get there, um, but I don't think they're there this season. Um, and, you know, Fagunas was so good for this team last year and, and so creative, uh, you know, fell off a little bit at the end of the year. But, uh, you know, I, I just don't know what position works for him. If they're playing the formation that they played, um, you know, yesterday, I don't think that he, he really has a spot in it. Um, and, you know, I think Pania, again, is a guy that you know, perhaps could have fit in this formation a bit better. I was shocked he wasn't in the 18 and maybe he's in the doghouse for a while. But, you know, he's a guy that I feel like has to have a space um, in the 11. And, you know, Fagundes, I think, is, is very talented, too. Um, but, you know, if I have to pick a guy that you know absolutely needs to be in this 11, I think it's Pania over Fagundes. Um, but, you know, I'd like to see both of those two guys in there and for Friedel to find a way to figure it out. I, he hasn't done it yet. Yeah, I'm not sure if there is a spot for Fagundes in the starting 11 just because we saw him kind of fall out of favor towards the end of last season. Um, it, I don't think he's a part of the Revolution's plans beyond this season. Um, I, I don't know if there is a rift there between Friedel and Fagundes, but for a guy at Fagundes' salary who gave you the production he last year you would think that they would try to implement him some way and it doesn't seem like they're going to do that so they might relegate him to the Cullen Rowe role where he's kind of playing the super sub uh, player he can go in and play a uh, attacking central attacking midfielder or a central midfielder or a wing player um, kind of late in the game May, I, I, I'm getting the sense that that's where they're going to play him in the future. Um, I don't know if I totally agree with that. I think he's still very talented, too talented for that role too, especially. Um, I also think too that if you're getting transfer offers from him from Europe or wherever, um, I, 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 I think this is a dwindling asset if you're going to let him sit on the bench and ride out his contract at this point. Um, so I, I'm curious to see where this goes. I'm curious to see um, if he does get back into the starting lineup. But I think going forward for the next month or so, um, I think he has kind of played himself out of the starting 11 and, uh, I, I think he's going to be sitting on the bench for a little bit. Um, unless, you know, maybe in the event, Dewan Jones has two or three bad performances week after week. Um, maybe Diego Fagundes comes back in replacement of him, but, um, it seems like overall right now, there doesn't seem to be a spot for Fagundes. And I don't know if it's tied to effort. I don't know if it's tied to, they don't believe in his ability. Um, but right now I, I don't think Brad Friedel has a lot of confidence in Diego Fagundes. Um, Sean, the other person you mentioned there is Christian Pineo. We have another questions on him. Um, Zach Grimes asked, Zach Grimes asked us, uh, was Jones getting the start going to be a one game thing or is Pineo officially in the doghouse? Um, you know, I think he is in the doghouse, but I also don't think Jones getting the start is going to be a, an everyday thing. Um, you know, you can't beat every team in a track meet. 
that's you know not how it's going to work for the revolution i think long term and Pania is just too talented to not play i again i was shocked that Pania wasn't in the lineup or wasn't in the 18 in this game you, you cannot convince me that Tayan buchanan um coming off the bench would have been a better option for the revolution if they needed a goal late um so you know he's is he in the doghouse i think yes uh you know why else wasn't he in the lineup in this game or at least in the on the bench um but i think long term he's going to find his way back in the lineup he's just too talented not to he hasn't been at his best this season um but i think he's just too good of a player to to not find his way into this lineup and he's you know he's a pacey guy too that can help in the press just you know even if he hasn't really um this game uh you know hasn't really this season i think he, there's he's got to find a way back into the lineup yeah, and another thing too is I don't think this, this question is mutually exclusive. As you said, was Jones getting the start going to be a one-game thing? I would say yes. I think Teo Buchanan might have gotten the start if he was fully healthy. He's coming back from a leg injury. Um, Justin Rennox, as we know, was out for the near future. I think Justin Rennox might have gotten the start over Dewan Jones. Um, so I, I think Dewan Jones is he a full-time starter going forward? Probably not. We might see more and more of him. I think he certainly earned minutes. Um, but when Teo Buchanan returns to full health, when Justin Maddox returns to full house. I, I, I would imagine those guys are going to get more minutes um, than Dewan Jones. Um, Tayo and Buchanan, I'm not as certain about, but Justin Reddick certainly, I think, is going to get more and more minutes uh, than Dewan Jones. Um, the other thing, too, is, going to the second part of that question, is P- P- Christian Pena officially in the doghouse? I, I think he is, absolutely. I think being dropped out of the 18 is certainly a message being sent. Um, this was a must-win game for the Revolution, and I feel, especially after a week of negativity, I think you needed a victory. And as you said, is Tayon Buchanan coming off of an injury a better position player, a, a better player? Uh, late in the game when you need an offense spark than Christian Pena? Of course not. You know, people have been criticizing Christian Pena uh, the past two, three games. Um, he's played. Christian Pena playing at 50% is probably better than Tayon Buchanan at 100%. I mean, I, I just think that's how it is. Um, Christian Pena was your yeah. most important player last season. Um, I mean, e- even in these efforts where he's, you know, kind of dogging it around a little bit, I mean, he's still getting shots on target. Um, he's, he's still able to take players on still create one chances. one yeah, he, he he's still creating things. So for him to be out of the 18 entirely, certainly that's Friedel sending a message. Is Christian Panea in the same doghouse that was once occupied by Claude Yelna and is currently occupied by Gabriel Somi? I don't think you can afford to relegate someone that good in, in you know, I put him on ice totally for the rest of the season, especially after executing a purchase option. I'm not sure where you, you go from here. Um, I, I, I don't know if that's a one game thing. Um, I'm very curious to see the lineup next week against Columbus because I, I would imagine Christian Pena is too talented to ignore over time. Um, but it wouldn't shock me if we see another one to two weeks of him outside of the 18 um, just to kind of get Pena's head on straight. Um, I, I will say, too, there was another uh, comment we got yesterday. It wasn't in related. It wasn't a Twitter question or anything, but someone um, thought that maybe Christian Pena has kind of gotten, um, you know, kind of new contract content where once he's signed a contract and knows where his future is, uh, maybe he, he was putting in the effort for a new contract. And now that there is one signed, he, he's not putting in as much effort. Um, you know, that's speculation, but I think it might play into it. Um, I'm, I'm not totally sure if he wants out. It would seem per- certainly pretty soon to want out of New England after just getting here permanently. But um, I don't know. It's really disappointing to see him not being able to build off of such a positive 2018. Yeah, I, I don't know if I buy into the the contract fatigue thing, and I think, you know, I, I honestly don't think it's been a, a lack of effort from him. I think he just hasn't, you know, fit as well into the lineup with with Heal and, and Castillo beside him, and for whatever reason, I think it's up to Bradfield to figure out a way to make that work. 
Yep. Uh, another lineup question here from Joe. Um, he says that Carlos Eels sitting deep and able to find every pocket of open space and spread the attack was great. Uh, more of this, please. Uh, but he says also, how does Brad repeat this lineup again? Respect to him for wor- for it working, but no way it can last. Uh, and that's kind of something that you said, Sean, that you know they're not going to be able to press all season. Um, how much longer do you think we're going to see something similar next week at Columbus? Do you think maybe it'll play out a little differently against um, better competition on the road? Yeah, I mean, I think it will play out differently against better competition on the road. I think the the turnovers that the Revolution had in this game um, would come back to bite them more against a team like Columbus. And, and honestly, I was, as you've been talking, I've been trying to find that chance that the Revolution conceded right after they scored in this game. And you know, if you if you want to feel down about this team again, go back and watch that eleventh minute um, in which Annie Baba flubs on a tackle and, and flubs on a clearance. And then there's a, a long ball forward, um, and Quintero is left wide open in the box where you know Mancian looks behind him, he just lets him go, and it looks like he thinks Heel's going to go after him, and Heel doesn't. Um, and if Quintero has a better touch, that game's one-one instantly. Um, and I think we feel probably a lot differently about this game. But um, you know, I, I again, I don't think this lineup can work long term. I you know, I don't think you can have your two wingers passing at fifty percent accuracy. Accuracy um, and get away with it in many games. Uh, you know the hustle is, was was great. They're you know really fast guys. They can recover and make up for their mistakes. But you know a team like Columbus that has some pace as well, um, that has a lot of creativity. I think you know it doesn't necessarily work against and the Revolution. You know perhaps need to be a bit more methodical in the attack at times and, and, and in defense. So um, you know again credit to Brad Friedel for finding a combination that worked in this game for putting guys out there that he knew the effort would come from. You know and hopefully the the effort from this game can build over into next games and you know they can light a fire under guys like Pania and Fagundes for having them set out and it works as desired. Um, but no, I don't think this works long-term. No, I agree too. I think this works out really well against inferior opponents at home. I, I think facing a superior opponent on the road, you're going to have a little bit more difficulty pressing, trapping your turnovers are going to hurt a little bit more when you're aggressive on defense. I think it's going to be a little more exploited. Um, I'm curious to see if there are any changes um, or if Brad Friel kind of goes with the hot hand and sticks with what's working. Um, so, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see this next lineup because there are guys like Fagunas and Pena who we're talking about who I think you could argue are more talented. Uh, but certainly I think there are guys like Brandon By and Dewan Jones that certainly earned minutes. So we'll be, we'll be interesting to see how they play it out next week. Uh, Mike Kennedy asks us, uh, is there something here with today's back four? To me, it looks like the best four defenders the Revs currently have. Um, Sean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think Farrell and Castillo are the best fullbacks the Revs currently have. Um, I'm still not sure who the best two center backs are, but I think this is probably what we see going forward based on you know them getting the win in this game. Um, you, you know, like you said earlier, I think you know talent level. I think Andy Baba and, and De La May are interchangeable. Um, I think Andy Baba does make mistakes and often recovers for those mistakes with his effort. You know, he's a guy that again you can never question the the hustle and the effort from. Uh, but you know, am I sold that he's better than De La May? I don't know. I still think the Revolution could you know do well to to find another center back in this in this you know summer to you know kind of complement those guys and find someone else that could perhaps provide some competition there. But they're spending so much money at the position that that maybe they won't. Yeah, Any Baba is two for two uh, so far in in solid starts this season, uh, and and that would lead me to believe that he is you know probably one of the best four defenders on this team. But I also feel like we did that last year where Any Baba uh, played in, in in start of De La May after De La May was red carded at Philly, and he kind of played his way slowly out of the lineup, and De La May kind of retook the role. Um, I think that 
the top two center backs is just whoever's hot. I would imagine Mancien and Anibaba are getting the starts next week. Um, I don't see any way you can take out Anibaba after the performance he just had. And I don't think they're going to take out Mancien. I think they're going to ride him out um, as as the captain, as the kind of leader of that defensive line, even though his performances are a little lackluster in my opinion, uh, and I'll say kind of MLS average. So, um, yeah, I, I think this is going to be the starting four. Is it the best four? I would say that the the – the three center backs we have back there are mix and match. And I don't think there's necessarily a right answer. Um, Mike Kennedy also asked us how much of a role did Farrell Farrell having back, <clears throat> how much of a role did Farrell coming back play in giving by license to make his runs while not getting caught out of position. Seems like Farrell is the perfect stay at home defender to Castillo's penchant for making runs forward. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I think Farrell had a, you know, a solid game. <laughs> Again, not to harp on it too much. I think his passing number needs to go up. I think it needs to be more accurate and less turnovers. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I thought that before he came into the lineup that he was a guy that would you know be better staying at home and could contribute more defensively than Brandon Bay does. Um, and yeah, I think it did open up the, the midfield for Brandon Bay to, to push forward and not have to worry as much about his defensive duties because he knew Andrew Farrell was behind him, um, which hasn't been the case for guys like Fagundes or whoever's been playing out in the right when Brandon Bay has been, been the right back. So uh, Farrell's insertion back to the lineup, I thought would help the revolution a lot. And it, I think it did this game. Yep, no, I, I totally agree. I will say that uh, Farrell didn't really get exposed because there wasn't a whole lot of chances for Minnesota to expose them. Um, should be noted that Farrell, you, you mentioned his pass accuracy. He was 27 for 43. Um, he was 14 for 21 in the attacking third. So almost half of his passes um, were towards someone in the attacking third to just kind of give you a, a, an idea of where Farrell was playing. I think as time goes on, um, when the Revs are kind of pushed back into their own territory a little more, his, his pass accuracy will be a little bit better. And He'll he'll have a little bit more more challenges, uh, I'll say than yesterday. But um, overall, I think the statement I think the statement over there. Uh, sorry, just to finish up just the, the statement over there where he's kind of a good balance to Castillo, where you have Farrell kind of playing back and Castillo can push up. Um, I I think Farrell does kind of give you another guy who's a little bit more defensively aware and can track back a little bit better than Brandon By. Yeah, one thing I just wanted to point out is is Minnesota attacked 43% down the right side, 37% down the middle, and only 19% down the left side. Um, so Farrell really didn't face a lot of attacks, and maybe some of that is because Minnesota was, you know, knew that Farrell was a better defensive option than even Castillo, maybe, um, or maybe some of that was just personnel-wise. But um, you know, it's a, it's a fair point that Farrell actually didn't face that much. Um, and the way of attacks from Minnesota because they really weren't attacking down the left side. And, you know, on that note, in the reverse, the Revolution attacked 43% down the right side. Um, and we've been talking a lot this season about how much they've been dependent on their left side, um, you know, in other games. And, and this game was 43% right, 28% left. So the Revolution kind of, you know, rebalanced their attack in this one and it attacked a lot more down the right than they normally would. Uh, while on the flip side, you know, the right side didn't face that much defensive work. Yep. No, a lot of what we, uh, they, they did a lot of things that we saw in preseason allegedly. So really, really solid work. <laughs> um, one other Twitter comment, uh, Adam McLean said, uh, aside from one pat one poor pass croppers, while this re- distribution was on point, the starting keeper job is his to lose now, which I think we agree with. Um, Carlos Gil is the real deal. He was everywhere and he and Caldwell played well together. I liked the revs four, four, two lineup with Caldwell. Um, work rate was very good, uh, which are the kind of sentiments that we have said uh, throughout the podcast. I think it really worked out well yesterday, and they, they played really well considering the matchup. Yeah, the, the only point I'd make there is um, the one thing you said that you didn't mention was that he called it a 4-4 diamond two lineup, and I, I don't really think it was necessarily a diamond. Um, when you look at the personnel, you would have thought it was a diamond, but the way Hill was playing, I, I think it wasn't a diamond and that he was you know really a two-way midfielder, as was Caldwell on this one. 
They probably, yeah, I, I think they kind of, a lot of people have called it a diamond and they've kind of lined up that way, but it's really a, a strange shape because I think 442 diamond, you don't, you kind of picture one guy sitting totally in the backfield and one guy totally in the in attacking position. And they kind of seem to overlap at times and kind of play side to side at times. And it, it was very fluid and very moving. So I, I, I don't think you can really define, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure what you would call it because I think 442 is. It was more of a flat four, four man mid, midfield in my mind. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think they were both all over the place. I think they were kind of interchangeable. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, I'm not going to argue schematics. It, yeah, it was I mean, a four four two. I mean, if you four, if you if you look at the influence chart, I think Caldwell was slightly further back than than Heal, but actually not that much further back at all. Um, I don't know. To, I I'm you know grasping at words and semantics here, but I, I didn't feel to me like a diamond the way it played out. Um, yeah, I'll let you have it, John. Um, <laughs> just some other uh, quick notes and news from the week. Um, Brian Wright uh, scored and assisted in Birmingham Legion's first uh, first win ever. First win ever. Uh, they defeated Louisville City. Um, really nice to see uh, someone kind of on the revs finally have a good game against Louisville. Um, I don't. I don't think we're going to be uh, seeing him get called up anytime soon, though. I know we talk about um, kind of the lack of striker. I, I think they want to keep him down there at Birmingham for a little bit longer before. Um, calling it up. I don't think they're slamming the panic button on the, the forward position just yet, but um, I, I wonder if he he starts putting in goals week after week. I wonder if they have to kind of bring him up and give him some minutes somewhere, don't you think? Yeah, and uh, it sounded like Haravu had a decent game, too. He got the start, um, and, you know, I, hard hard to go based on tweets, but I at least won some some free kick with some good dribbling, apparently. Um, but, yeah, if if we, you know, go another four or five games and Aguadelo, Caicedo, and Bunbury still haven't found the back of the net, then then maybe Friel thinks about bringing up Brian Wright if Brian Wright keeps scoring in Birmingham. I don't, I honestly don't see it happening, but, um, you know, it's obviously better for the revolution to, to see Brian Wright scoring than, than not. And, uh, you know, if, if he can keep it up, maybe he'll get a chance later in the season. Uh, and in other news, kind of minor news, but a Swedish website, website reported that the uh, Revs received an offer from FC Cincinnati uh, on Gabriel Somi in the offseason. Uh, now, obviously, Cincinnati ended up getting Greg Garza instead, but uh, it looks like the Revs didn't like the offer, turned it down. Um, Somi has also mentioned that there's a little bit of interest from a few Swedish teams. Their window closes this week. I think it's April 4th. Um, Sean, you surprised that the Revolution turned down any offer on Gabriel Somi? I mean, I have trouble believing it. If uh, you know, if they were offered a 17th round draft pick that didn't exist for Gabriel Somi, and you know Cincinnati was willing to take on his salary, then I think you'd jump at that. And I honestly think that, like you know, based on what we've seen this year, and based on him being locked out of the 18, based on him preseason him like pretty much right away, you know, being put in with the the very bottom tier players when he was out there, um, I I can't imagine there was a scenario where Cincinnati offered the Revolution, you know, anything or even nothing, you know, for Somi without perhaps asking for an international roster spot or, you know, allocation money with him as well uh, to take on a salary and the revolution didn't jump for it. So I, I almost don't believe the report because um, it's just, you know, mind boggling to me that they would in any scenario, not jump at an opportunity to offload Zomi if, you know, Cincinnati had offered them um, just taking on a salary and taking on his international roster spot and, and not requiring the revs to provide some allocation money, international spot while, while sending him over. Um, it makes no sense to me. Yeah, it's interesting. It must have been a really t- terrible offer, too, because um, I think Cincinnati signed they, – they got great guards pretty early in the offseason, if I remember correctly. So 
the refs had some time to plan. Um, it isn't like they were going into training camp and the refs said, well, we have no one for cover if um, Castillo goes down with a knee injury or something like that. So, um, I mean, you, you could make the argument, well, the refs wanted some cover and some depth at fullback where they'd lack, which is true. Um, but, yeah, it must have been a very, very poor offer, something to the effect of that the Revs got a late-round draft pick, and, uh, you know, they they cover three-quarters of Somi's remaining salary. And then the Revs must have been eating a lot of money to the point where they said, you know what, we might as well just ride out with this guy and, and let him stay here. Um, and the other thing, too, is I, I bet the Revolution think that they can actually get something from a team from Sweden um, – whether it's money or whatever, but I, I, I imagine that that's a risky bet. has more interest outside of MLS. Yeah, I mean, you you would hope so, um, but you know, based on what we're seeing right now, if if they don't find a way to offload them in the summer, um, it looks pretty bad that a they didn't you know move them to Cincinnati if there was an offer, and you know b they didn't buy them out before the season. You know, the only thing I'll say is that you know Mike Burns has shown a hesitance to trade guys in conference in the past, but I feel like you know when you're talking about a Gabriel Somi versus a Lee Wynn, this is a completely different scenario. In which case, you should not be hesitant at all to to trade somebody to FC Cincinnati um, of Somi's caliber who's not going to play for for the revolution unless you really think you have misevaluated his talent in which case it just makes no sense so i i, I don't know i my my hunch is to not completely believe this story um sean any other final thoughts uh at, at the end of the week uh anything you want to shout outs any final thoughts you want to throw out there yeah, Christian Namath, um, the the former Revolution striker who I you know, talked about being the leading scorer in the Champions League, um, is now second in MLS in goals after getting a hat trick as Sporting Kansas City completely destroyed Montreal seven to one. Um, so Namath, who you know we knew could be a, a fantastic striker in this league because he'd done it before, um, but for whatever reason, whether it was under you know Jay Heaps for or, or you know Tommy Sohn for a few weeks at the end of that last tenure, or under uh, Brad Friedel, a, you know he never really figured it out with the the revolution but now we're seeing what he can do in, in kansas city and if you're you know a revolution fan looking at bunbury aguadello and caicedo not putting any shots on net and seeing namath leading the champions league and scoring and scoring a hat trick against montreal um you might be wondering what could have been uh with that situation on the flip side uh Callan rowe seems to be a bench player for kansas city so he has not necessarily turned into the player that uh some people thought he could be at least yet um in kansas city system but you know christian namath is, is absolutely killing it right now for for Kansas City. So you talked about some still current revolution players doing some good things in, in Birmingham and you see a ex revolution player absolutely tearing it up in Kansas City at a position the revolution are pretty weak in. Um and you know, again, I'm not sure he fit what Brad Friedel is trying to do, but Namath is doing a fantastic job at MLS right now. Yeah, the Christian Namath uh, golden boot is going to be a pretty tough pill to swallow, I think, at the end of this year. Um, Sean, I, I actually wanted to play a quick game with you uh, in honor of the contract extension to Scott Caldwell. Um, as a lot of our listeners know, uh, we are outraged at Scott Caldwell's uh, pace rating on FIFA 19, <laughs> uh, which is 42. Um, anyone who listens to this podcast uh, knows that. Uh, except for uh, maybe some of our co-hosts who I guess missed that somehow. But anyway, um, so I, I wanted to kind of give you a couple of other players in MLS uh, who are known for being slow or not fleet of foot, and I want you to guess if they have a pace rating higher than 42, which is Scott Caldwell's. Oh, boy. Are you ready? I'm ready. And, and our listeners can play along at home, too. I think this is a great idea. But anyway, um, we'll start out with an easy one, Schweinsteiger. Uh, I think we figured out he was lower. Oh, I think I might have shared some of these answers with you. I, th I think that one was one we discovered <laughs> after the show that he was lower. 
I don't know which of these. I don't know which of these uh, I found with you, and which ones were sent to me by James Downing. So <laughs> this will be a little interesting. You might know some of these, but anyway, the people at home can still play. Um, Brad Knighton. Um, Brad Knighton. You would think as a goalkeeper would be slower, but I believe this was the other one that we discovered as actually faster, much to my shock. So Brad Knighton's pace rating is 59. I just want people to think of that, that Scott Caldwell has a 42 pace rating and Brad Knighton is 59. Um, Schweinsteiger also, by the way, is 37. He is not faster than Scott Caldwell. Um, Chris Wondolowski. Uh, you, you know, he should be slower than Scott Caldwell at this point in his career, I think. But I bet he's higher. He has a 48 pace rating, so he is faster than Scott Caldwell. <laughs> um, Tim Howard. If he is not slow, Scott Caldwell, when he's like 40 years old now, um, I think the game needs to be broken. <laughs> Tim Howard has a pace rating of 39. So he, he is slow. So he's close. Scott, he's close. If him and Scott Caldwell were to um, you know, race in a 200-meter dash, it would be neck and neck. Uh, Kyle Beckerman. Oh, Kyle Beckerman is also old and slow. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say he's... I'm going to say even on this one. I think it's a trick question. <laughs> oh, that's a good guess. But he is slower than Scott Caldwell. He has a 40 rating. So, yeah. Yeah. You did pretty good on that one. I mean, you I knew tried. so many answers. I forgot that I've, I've texted you some of these answers. But <laughs> so just to give you an idea of the class that Scott Caldwell is in, in terms of speed, according to FIFA, um, it's not exactly the uh, best names out there. I mean, and when you look at those other players that are below him, they're all like in their their mid to late thirties at this point. I mean, Beckerman's thirty six, so Caldwell's eight years younger than him. What what's his rating going to be if he's still playing when he's thirty six? Would be like twenty. <laughs> it also shows a lot of guts for the Revolution to lock up someone who is going to get slower over time. I mean, his FIFA rating next year might be in the thirties. I I, w- I want to know how he manages to cover as much ground as he does if he's that slow. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Um, I, I do have a couple of other uh, names here. Chad Marshall, who is a center back, uh, he has a face rating of 45. I think we talked about that one, Sean. Uh, and then there's also Nick Romando, who has a pace rating of 46. So, uh, you know, you, you, I, t- Tim Howard, obviously, uh, you know, even though he, he's an aging goalkeeper, is a slower uh, pace rating than Caldwell. But that's not across the board. A- aging goalkeeper Nick Romando still faster than Scott Caldwell. I mean, and to be fair, Romano's known for being quick on his feet, so I, I'm, if anything, I'm more surprised that Brad Knighton is faster than Nick Romano. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did these... I, I also had a list of players that I was going to... Um, it was a few weeks ago. I, I had a, a few others um, that were outside of MLS. I think the, the slowest player in the game has a pace of, like, 21. So there, there are some incredibly slow people playing soccer, so... Anyway. I want to see someone put together an ultimate team of all these guys we just talked about and uh, see and there how that is, goes. If you Google slowest players in FIFA, someone did put together a position by position. Did, That's where I got did this they, from. Did they actually play with that team, though? That's what I want to say. Oh, no, no, no. But that is if that's our homework for our listeners. Actually put together that team on <laughs> ultimate team and let us know how many games in a row you lose until you win. I, I would watch that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll need we'll need to uh, write in uh, and, and get the uh, the uh, EMLS revs player uh, to do that and see if he he would still probably beat me ten to nothing. But. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I if I could play him with him taking like all forty or slower guys in pace. I don't know. I'd like to see how that would go. Curious. Yeah. Yeah. Also, while we're talking on the EMLS Cup uh, that was held in 
Boston this week. I, I do want to kind of add that to uh, the representative from Philadelphia one. So I uh, just wanted to congratulate him. That's automatically a top 10 sports moment in Philadelphia history. So congrats to you. Anyway, <laughs> uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap. You can also like our Revolution Recap page on Facebook. Uh, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening. Um, the Revs hit the road next week for a rematch with the Columbus crew, uh, who as of this moment are in first place in the Eastern Conference and are coming off a waterlogged 2-0 win against Atlanta. Um, I'm not entirely sure if we are back next week uh, or if it's a bye week for us. But regardless, thank you for listening and go Revs. <laughs>